0: You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit Kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. Uh, we are excited that you're here with us today. My name is Rhett, and uh, it is a great time to be alive. The first week in the spring, we had a beautiful day yesterday. March madness is upon us, and uh us being a, a Hoosier State and being all about basketball, there's a lot to celebrate around here. I'll, I'll even throw in Ohio State. Uh, they they made it into the tournament and they won their first game, so Matt, I know you love that. For myself, I'm a, I'm a Purdue alum, so Purdue, amen. Come on now. So. Purdue got a three seed, and now they've made it into the Sweet 16 for the third time, and uh, I, you know, I, I thought about this, and I don't want to leave any IU fans out, so I'll even give credit to you guys. You guys got a one seed this year, so that was great. Might have been in the wrong tournament, but you made it in there. Um, All right, so before I get thrown out of this place, I am excited to be here. I'm excited you guys are here with us. Uh, This morning, as Rebecca said, we are starting a new series called Endgame. And if you've been with us over the last three and a half months, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And and what this is, this is a book of the Bible uh, where one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his closest followers, has given this account of who Jesus was to a guy named Theophilus. And, And what we know about Luke is that he was a physician, Uh, So we know that he was a very detailed guy, and so he has carefully documented all the details about the life of Jesus, and and he writes it here in this gospel, and now we get a chance uh, 2,000 years later to look at it, to look at the life of Jesus from who he was to what he said to the things that he did. And so in part one, we started back in December where we said that Jesus has come into the world, he's been born, we celebrated his birth, and that meant hope for the world, And then in part two, we talked about that. When we start interacting with Jesus, when we start connecting our lives to him and following him, that it begins to change us. It begins to give us purpose and fulfillment. And then last week, Todd finished out part three of our series, uh, Where Jesus liar or Legit, where we talked a lot about the countercultural things that Jesus said and some of the maybe crazy and miraculous things that he did. And, and what that does is that pushed us, that in light of all those things, it pushed us to make a decision and to answer the question that Jesus asked his followers last week, where he says, who do you say that I am? And it pushes us to this kind of crisis say, do we believe him or not? So in part four this morning, Luke is culminating this entire account of the life of Jesus and he's doing it to answer this question of why did Jesus come? He's doing it to answer the question, why did Jesus come? And this is the question that we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks and leading up to Easter. And I believe that this part really reveals one of the greatest aspects of the heart of God, and it starts to reveal his purpose for coming, his purpose for sending his only son into the world, and and before we jump into the text, I I want you to get this, that, that Jesus coming into the world wasn't just to bring another moral code to the world, it wasn't just to make the world a better place by bringing another nice and great person into it, but when Jesus came into the world, he had us on his heart. When he came into the world, he had his eyes so focused on us that he knew what his coming meant from the day that he came and for us for the rest of eternity. So I want you to turn together with me to Luke chapter 15, and this is where Luke starts to make that turn in the gospel. So if you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open up Luke chapter 15. We'll be hanging out there today, and we'll be starting in verse 11. So, Jesus is telling a story. So, verse 11, he says this. He says, Jesus continued, There is a man who had two sons. And he said, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So, he divided the property between them. And and not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country. And then he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." Verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So what's going on here is a lot of the sinners and and the tax collectors and kind of the unrighteous people, some of the, the lowlifes of the time, were coming around Jesus. They're coming around to hear what he had to say, to hear his teachings, but at the same time, the religious elite and kind of the top leaders of the day were coming around as well. And, and they weren't too happy that Jesus was interacting with these sinners, that he was interacting with these unrighteous people. And Jesus, right before this, has already told two stories to this, these two groups of people. And one was about a shepherd who had lost a sheep. And he said, I'm going to leave the 99 sheep, and I'm going to go chase after until I find that one. And, and the second story was about a woman who had lost a coin in her house. And he said that this woman did everything she could. She turned the house upside down until she found that one coin. So he very intentionally follows up those two stories that address these two groups of people with this story of these two sons. And he uses those words there were two sons. So in this first part, we see that the younger son has found himself in this spot where he has squandered uh, his life, he's, he's done so. He's not only ruined what his father had already given him, the job, but he's also prematurely taken his inheritance and he's blown through it. And, and ESV, I love it how it says it. It says that he did so in reckless living. So what that means is that he did so knowing that, hey, this is gonna be the consequences of my actions, or maybe he didn't know the consequences, but he said, this moment and living in this moment is more important to me than knowing what's gonna come tomorrow, what's gonna come the next day. And, and we read that story, we look at this and we think from our seats today and we're like, man, how, how could he do that? I mean, did he not realize that the consequences of his actions, if he chooses this, it's gonna lead to that and that when, when the tickets are all out, the ride's over. But for us today, before we uh, cowboy up on our, our high horses, I, I wanna be real with you for a moment because I think this concept of reckless living really isn't as hard as we make think. So, so imagine yourself and this is all just hypothetical. You're driving home from work and out of the corner of your eye you see the dazzling glow of a Taco Bell sign. <laughs> <laughs> you you know what I'm talking about. So don't, yeah, so don't don't tell me there's not a moment of weakness in there where your car starts to veer a little bit towards that parking lot. And and I'll say that Bible scholars may disagree on this all over, but I would say that once you've entered the parking lot and you're in the drive-thru, you're in a place that constitutes reckless living. So it's it's really not as hard as we may think. But but let's keep going in the story and we wanna kind of bring up and talk about this second son. So Jesus continued in verse 25 where he says, says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing and so he called to one of his servants and he asked him, what's going on? It says, your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So the older brother became very angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, "'Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, "'never disobeyed your orders, "'yet you never gave me even a young goat "'so I could celebrate with my friends. "'But when this son of yours, "'who has squandered your property with prostitutes, "'comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him.'" In verse 31, it says, "'My son,' the father said, "'You were always with me, and everything I have is yours, "'but we had to celebrate and be glad.'" because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he was found. So here we see the reaction of of the second son of the older brother and and when he gets the news that his younger brother has come home and not only that but his his dad has thrown this party for him and and not just any ordinary party. It says that he's killed the fattened calf which we know uh, from our context uh, that that was no ordinary celebration. That was meant for a special event. So we have to ask the question, well, why, why is the older brother so upset? Why is he so angry? And I think there might be a few different reasons, but I think what Jesus is doing here in the story is he's starting to point out one major reason to the religious people who are listening, and he's saying that this brother's angry because he's finding himself in a religion that rather than comparing his life to God, he finds himself comparing his life to other people and his brother being that other person, and, and although we only get this short response from the older brother, I think it gives us very clear insight into his heart. It gives us very clear insight to what's going on inside here, because he essentially says, look, look at all the things that I've done for all of these years, and then look at what your son did or didn't do, and what he's done to us, and and we look at this reaction from, from us today, and we say, man, well, I think he's kind of justified in his reaction. I mean, the older son's been faithful. He's been, you know, tending the garden of the father while the younger son is out squandering a third of the estate. But there's one aspect of the story that I want us to catch that I think is what makes a big difference here in their reaction, and it's this. That the son's reactions are a result of their posture towards the father. Their son's reactions are a result of their posture towards their father, and they come as a result of how they view themselves to their father. And and as we see in both of these stories, that their reactions lead in two very different directions. They lead in two very different directions. So so we ask, well, what is that difference? What is that one aspect? And I think that Paul clarifies for us the difference in 2 Corinthians chapter seven. Verse 10, and I wanna use the ESV version of this because I love the word-for-word translation. I love the, the words that it uses to emphasize this. So verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 7, it says that for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regrets, whereas worldly grief produces death. So we see that the difference of the son's reactions to their father was the grief that they felt. And that grief then change their posture towards their father. And Paul describes these two different types of grief. Uh, he says they lead in very two opposite directions. He says that one leads to life while the other leads to death. And this word here for grief is the same Greek word that's used for regret. And it kind of means this idea of sorrow, of pain, of, of this heaviness, this sadness in our hearts. So so essentially you can replace that word. And, and Paul could be saying that godly sorrow leads to life, whereas worldly sorrow leads to death. One commentator gives this explanation of the difference between the two, and he says that godly sorrow manifests itself by repentance and the experience of divine grace. Worldly sorrow brings death, because instead of being God-centered sorrow over the wickedness of sin, it's a self-centered sorrow over the painful consequences of sin. But do you see the difference between those two? Do you see the difference between those two sorrows? In the first half of the story, the first son is experiencing this worldly sorrow, this worldly regret because he has squandered his life, but he even emphasizes in verse 21, he says, not only have I sinned against heaven, which we can kind of take as maybe he's lived unrighteously, he's kind of broken the moral code, but he very clearly says, Father, I've sinned against you. But the second son on the other hand, he's been living well. He's been doing the right thing and, and living and not disobeying, as he said, for all of these years. And because of that, his, his perspective starts to change. He starts to see his posture and, and his grief for this, this sorrow as I don't need, need any more repentance because I've been doing it right for all these years. And, and he starts to trust in his own effort. He starts to trust in his own good merit. He says, look at all the things I've done and I've been doing it faithfully for all these years and because of that, his posture towards his father has changed. He no longer sees the need for forgiveness of his own sins or his perspective has kind of been skewed and blurred a little bit to where he forgets that everything good that he has, the job to be able to take care of all of his father's estate was once given to him by the father. So to bring this down maybe from a kind of high church theology, I want to give a couple uh, simple examples of of what worldly sorrow can look like, what worldly regret can look like. And uh, I think one one of the ones that a lot of us can relate to in American culture is this idea of dieting. Um, this idea of dieting, where I've, I was a health and kinesiology major uh, in my uh, undergrad at Purdue, and, and something I've seen over the last 15 years is there's a new fad diet that comes out about every one to two years, and, and you guys know know what these are. Your your friends, your family, your coworkers, you know they all jump on board. They start to see results, so you tell yourself, man, I want to get better in shape. I want to build some muscle. I think I'm gonna I want to be a part of that. So we make this commitment to be on this diet, but then something happens, right? Maybe day two, week two, <laughs> January 1st at 12 p.m., lunch happens. And so you, you find yourself maybe strolling through the bakery aisle at the store, and, you, and those, those cookies and those donuts are looking good. And, and I'm not here to ask you what choice you made, but you know the choice you made, and you know that there is a small amount of regret that came with that choice, you know, And I, I'm not even here to judge you because I'm right there with it. You could ask my wife this. I found myself three weeks, ago about, three weeks ago about three donuts deep and about six Texas Roadhouse Rolls and the cinnamon butter. And I, I was just in this day sitting on my couch just thinking, what just happened? Um, <laughs> it, was, it was both good and bad. And, and I'll, I'll admit that from, from a standpoint, I didn't really regret the actions. It was a great action to do. It tasted awesome. <laughs> But I definitely regretted the consequences the next day from that. Um, another example that might help you understand a little bit more, uh, for the men, you can probably relate to this, is your interactions with your significant other. So for me, my birthday is coming up here in a couple weeks and I had the, the genius idea to ask my wife for a motorcycle for my birthday. So well, before I continue, who thinks this is a good idea? All right. Some of you guys are in the doghouse with me here. Um, so, so I asked for this motorcycle, and it's one of those moments where I instantly regretted the words that had just come out of my mouth. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you, have you had those moments before? And my wife, she, to her credit, she didn't say anything, at least not right away, and she just gave me this look. And men, you know this look. And, and I, don't, I don't know what it is. And I, I don't know what, you know, it's kind of that bless your heart look. Like, yeah, I, I call it the froed brow look because she does something with her eyes. It's like, I don't know if it's like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock with his brow. And I'm like, she gives me this look and it instantly leads to gr- regret. It, it leads to worldly sorrows, heaviness, sadness. And <laughs> it could possibly lead to death if I keep staring at it. But so so for me, uh, in my um, awesome smarts as a, as a male rather than kind of fix it. I have an idea. So here's my idea. So three weeks after my birthday is my wife's birthday. So my plan is this, is I'm gonna get her Botox right here. So now when I say stupid stuff, she's kind of has that surprised look on her face. And that's, oh, <laughs> uh, that is horrible. So that's, uh, that's speaking of words you instantly regret. So we'll make sure we edit that out. Um, but these, these are, these are kind of just two small examples of what worldly regret can look like. And uh, it, it's not so much that we feel sorry for the actions we did, it's not so much we feel sorry uh, for what we said, but we mostly feel sorry because of the consequences. We feel the weight and the pain of the consequences. And um, So this morning, we, we might read these stories of these two sons, and you might find yourself identifying with one or maybe both of these sons, or maybe somewhere in between. Um, but if you're that first son, maybe you're at a spot that you say, you know what, I feel like that I've, I've maybe squandered my life in wild living. I squandered my life in, in reckless living, and, and I'm, you know, I found myself that I'm watching online or I'm here at church and I just don't know where else to turn. You know, and I'm feeling the weight, I'm feeling the embarrassment, I'm feeling the shame of what that is. And, and you know, maybe, maybe I'm still in the midst of the mess and I want to get out of it, or maybe I've got out of it, but I can't get past that regret. I can't get past that place of regret. And, and that regret in my heart, it's leading to death. It's leading to death in my life. It's leading to death in my marriage and my friendships and my working relationships uh, with my parents, with my brothers, my sisters. And you feel like maybe you're just trapped in this place of regret. It's overtaken you and now it owns you. Or, or maybe like the second son, you've been in church for a while and you feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm doing okay. And you know, But I still have this, this sorrow. I still have this heaviness on me. And, um, but it's kind of a worldly sorrow where it's not a sorrow that says, you know what, God, I feel the weight of my own sin because you've been doing good for a while or I feel the weight of sin in the world and how it has broken the world. It's messed up how God has intended it. But instead, it's this worldly sorrow that, that kind of causes this rage and this anger to come up in you because it's directed towards others. You see others living unrighteous. You see them living ungodly and it frustrates you and it hurts you, and it frustrates you, and that type of worldly sorrow is not gonna lead to repentance for them, but instead it just leads to anger in you, and at that same spot of sorrow and regret, it leaves you trapped. And it leaves you at this spot where, uh, for the believer, maybe you've been walking for a while, and, and when you're at this level of just worldly sorrow for other people's sins, it lacks the compassion For the sinner, it lacks the compassion for the righteous person. And this is where I think the second son had had missed the heart of God. And I think where Jesus is pointing out to those religious people who were listening, they'd missed the heart of God. So Jesus emphasizes it in verse 20, where he says that the father saw the sinner, he saw the younger son who had squandered his living, and he said that he was filled with compassion for him. He was filled with compassion for him. So Here's what Jesus wants to show us through these two stories today, wherever you find yourself. If you're at this spot where you feel like you're stuck in sorrow, you're stuck in regret and you just can't get by it. Jesus wants to show you this and it's that Jesus never leaves us in our regret, but he's always working to redeem it. Jesus never leaves us in our regret, but he's always working to redeem it. See, when Jesus came, he wanted to take you from a spot of regret to rescue. He wanted to take you from this spot of maybe regret to a place of starting recovery. He wanted to take you from a spot of regret to being reinstated into the family, a spot of regret to full redemption. And here's what I love about this. Here's what I love about this is that when Jesus comes and you start to follow him in your life, he says that not only what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, he says not only are you going to have life, not only is repentance and following me going to lead to life, but go ahead and go to that next slide. I love it because it says that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to life salvation without regret, without regret, without the heaviness, without the sorrow, without the shame. And You see, regret and repentance, they're two very different things. See, regret continues to look at yourself and it continues to look at your sin and it continues to make you feel bad about what you've done in the sin. But repentance says, "Hey, I'm not going to look at that anymore, no longer. I'm going to turn away from that and it's not going to have a hold on me anymore. Regret says that I'm going to look to myself or repentance says I'm going to look to God and I'm going to let him set me free. So this morning, if you find yourself maybe stuck in one of these two spots no matter where it is, I wanna tell you that Jesus is here and he wants to offer you life, not just life that's forgiving your sins, but life without regret, a life without your sins. And here's the hope that we have. Here's the hope that we have from this this story, this parable, is that in both cases, for the older son and the younger son, is that the father pursues the son's. The father pursues the sons. In the first case, it says the father saw the young son, the unrighteous one, far off. He was filled with compassion. It says he ran towards him. And then he throws him a party, this wild celebration. And then for the second son, who's not come into the party, it says the father leaves the party and he goes out and he pleads for the second son to come into the party. He pleads for him to join the party and he says that we have to celebrate, we have to be glad. And in both cases, the father is inviting both types of people and the party is not over. The party is not over yet. I believe that Jesus has shared this parable with these people to reveal his purpose, to reveal his final stage, his final action to show this is why I came, to reveal his end game. And it was the relentless love of the Father, it was the relentless love of the Father that chased after the sinner, that chased after the unrighteous person And when Jesus chases after the sinner, when he chases after us, he chases after the unrighteous person, he doesn't do it reluctantly. But he does it it knowing the full consequences of his actions. He knows that this is eventually gonna cost my life. But he says that the cause is worth the cost. He says that you are worth the cost, that I am worth the cost. And that's the hope we have from this story. And if you haven't experienced that freedom, if you haven't experienced that life without regret and you find yourself maybe stuck in this spot where you haven't repented of your sins and you're just stuck in sorrow or maybe you have repented of your sins but you can't get over the regret. You can't get over the shame and the embarrassment of that. What I wanna tell you this morning is that Jesus has come to set you free from that and not only did he come to set you free and to forgive you from that but he's thrown you a stinking party and he said it's time to celebrate. He said, it's time to celebrate. And I love it because God is not a God who just forgives us and then holds it over our head, but he said, I'm a God who forgives you and I will throw your sin as far as the east is from the west. And that's what he does on the cross for us. For your sins, for my sins, and for the sins of the entire world. He wants to set us free. And he wants to set us free to a life without regret. Here's what I wanna do this morning is I'm gonna invite the servers to go out to get ready for communion and, and we're gonna take communion this morning and you're gonna take it on your own time and, and what this is, is this, is this is a chance for you to take the cup and take the bread that represents the sacrifice that Jesus gave, his body broken, his blood poured out and here's what I want you to hear, that this is your invite to the party. This was your invite to the party. Whether you find yourself recklessly living or you find yourself frustrated with the the unrighteousness, the recklessness of others, Jesus is pleading with us with his blood and his body to come into the party. He's pleading with us to come to the cross and remember what I've done for you. And if you're someone here who hasn't made that commitment to Jesus, I wanna encourage you, just let the tray pass this morning. I want you to talk to God. And maybe today's the day that you're going to make that commitment to say, you know what, Jesus, I've been living recklessly, has led to this heaviness, this sorrow. I'm ready to try you out. I'm ready to go all in with you. And I want you to talk to God. And at the end of service, you can come down and talk to our Connect team. But take this moment to connect with our God, to remember the love that He shows us through His sacrifice. Because so we've all been invited to the party. We just have to show up. We just have to show up. We pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your cross, the sacrifice. And we thank you that as we read in this story, Lord, that you, above it all, above our own frustrations, our own brokenness, our own mess, our own sin, that you are a God who loves us and pursues us. invite us not only to new life but new life without regret you invite us not only to forgiveness but you invite us to a party to come and celebrate to be made whole so my prayer this morning for all of us is that we would recognize that we would remember that that we would thank you for that we love you Jesus we pray this in your name